to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Misery Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, January 26th, we are studying John chapter 5, verses 19 to 29. Jesus begins to answer those who are ready to kill him for breaking the Sabbath and for calling God his own father. Jesus makes it plain that he is, in fact, the son of God who truly carries out his father's will. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have this regular guest, Pastor Carl Roth. Pastor Roth serves at Grace Lutheran Church in Elgin, Texas. Pastor Roth, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Happy to be with you. Thank you. Pastor Roth, as we get started today, remind us of the context. Where are we in John's gospel? What should we know as we prepare to look at this text today? So earlier in John chapter 5, we had the healing of a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years at Bethesda or Bethsaida. And uh, so we had this remarkable healing, uh, which, which brings to mind the Isaiah's prophecies about, you know, the lame receiving the ability to walk, the blind receiving sight, the dead rising, things like that. So this is one of those messianic signs that shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It also shows that he's Lord of the Sabbath. Um, we could we could even say, Dr. Weinrich in his commentary points out that we could say that Jesus actually loosed the Sabbath um, in the sense that he he actually has come now and fulfilled the Sabbath. And so he can actually release us from that that requirement to obey the Sabbath down to the letter because he has fulfilled it and he's loosing it now. And that really, really ticks off the, the, uh, the Judeans, right? They, they really, really don't like this because if they're about anything, it's about Sabbath and they, they really don't like that. And then also recognizing that Jesus is presenting himself as equal to the father. My father's working until now I'm working. Um, they, they get it right. They perceive exactly what Jesus is saying. They, they hear it loud and clear. And so then St. John comments in verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God, his own father, making himself equal with God. And so, I mean, what we're going to read today and then into the rest of the chapter tomorrow, this is really going to be Jesus' response to those accusations. Is this a, a trial of sorts or a defense that he's giving? How do you how do you understand the words in red that we're going to read today and also tomorrow? Well, I know that they're words from Jesus because they're in red. So That's right. Like, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, uh, that's the funny thing back. I'm, I don't know whether you talked about that back in John three, because there is some question as to whether or not some of those words should be in black or red, but here, I think it, okay. there's no question about it. This is, this is Jesus speaking. This is not the evangelist talking. Right. So is he, I mean, is he making a defense uh, to these people who are accusing him, ready to kill him? What's the, how do we understand the way he's addressing these people? Well, he's just preaching and, um, I think he's just laying it all out there. It's not as aggressive as it'll be like in John eight, when he says, you know, um, if you were like Abraham's children, you'd believe in me, but you're actually children of the devil here. He's right. not quite as in, in your face about it, but I think he is just proclaiming 
who he is, who his father is, what he is, you know, what he's come to do. I mean, this is, this is essentially a doctrinal sermon and it, it touches upon the greatest truths of the Christian faith, the Trinity, Mm -hmm. the incarnation, uh, the redemption, the final judgment, the power of the word. I mean, this is just a majestic, majestic passage. So I just say it's, I don't, I don't get any sense that he's defensive here. I think he's just proclaiming the truth. All right. So we're going to hear Jesus proclaim the truth concerning key Christian doctrine. You mentioned several of them. We get a chance to dig into these very rich words from Jesus today. This is John 5, beginning at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That is our text for today. That is John 5, verses 19 to 29. So, Pastor Roth, we have words in red for us today. As you said, that's how we know they're words of Jesus. (laughs) The evangelist tells us this is Jesus speaking in verse 19. And the first words that Jesus speaks in verse 19 in the ESV are translated, truly, truly, I say to you. And we hear Jesus repeat that a couple times in this text. Talk about that introduction of Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you. Yeah, so I'm looking at the Greek here, and what I'm seeing at the beginning is, amen, amen, I say to you. So. This is the word in, in the Greek. This is the Aramaic word, amen, which is transliterated into Greek. And we also translate it into English and Spanish and all other languages that we use today. Um, it means, as we learn, as we confess in the small catechism, amen, amen means yes, yes, it shall be so. Uh, this is the case. This is true. I like to point out that whereas we put our amens at the end of sentences, at the end of prayers and confessions, Jesus puts them at the beginning to emphasize that he is the truth. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was pretty sure you were the one who taught me that. I remember you you saying that, and I've, I've used that in the past, that it is, it's striking to see J- Jesus say amen at the beginning rather than at the end. We say amen at the end because we know what he has said is true. He says, I'm in at the beginning. He knows what he is going to say is true. And so he starts this way. So, I mean, when he says this and we hear him say it, I think I counted three times as I was reading that he uses this introduction just in this text. This means we, we really need to pay attention to these words. Yeah, it's just drawing. It's like using a highlighter or, you know, all caps or something like that. Drawing attention to this. This is a crucial teaching. Um, there is a sense in which there are 
more important passages of scripture, more important sayings of Jesus than others. Um, that's not, that shouldn't be controversial. Nimrod was a mighty hunter is in the old Testament, right? The fact that Nimrod was a mighty hunter is less important than Jesus saying, truly, I say to you, um, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Mm, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so Jesus catches their attention. And again, that, that makes sense that he would catch their attention right away, given the context that these people are ready to kill him for what he's teaching. So he wants to emphasize that, in fact, what he is teaching is the truth. He says, amen, amen, I say to you. And the first thing he he begins to emphasize is his well, I don't, I want to be careful here, I guess, but his unity with the father or his obedience to the father, how do we, how should we talk about that first verse? The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Yeah. It's a little tricky because, you know, you don't want to ever split Jesus up. So he's the son of God and he is a human being. We're going to come across the phrase son of man a little bit later. So I don't, I don't want to do the, the beautiful savior, son of God and son of man thing here because that's not exactly what we're going to be doing with Son of Man a little bit later. But he is, according to his divine nature, he is the Son from all eternity. Um, so he has equal power, glory. Um, one interesting side note here uh, is, is in the Nicene Creed, we say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Hmm. In, in some Eastern churches, the Eastern Orthodox Church, they reject that, called the Filioque and the Son, because they say, well, the Bible only teaches that the spirit proceeds from the father. And so they reject that, that phrase and the son. But here we see pretty clearly that whatever the father does, the son also does likewise. So if the spirit is proceeding from the father, then that means he's proceeding from the son. So we see then, I think you used the word unity earlier. I think that's, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, the thing that might make us scratch our heads a little is that the son can do nothing of his own will, but only what he sees the father doing. Is that a reference to his human nature? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you, <laughs> I mean, we don't want to spur Jesus up, right? So, but, but we also need to carefully distinguish between what is proper to the divine nature, what is proper to the human nature. The fact that his human nature is glorified makes things different than it would be for my flesh and blood. Um, but we just have to take the words at face value. He says he can't do anything except what the father does. This emphasizes then the unity of will, unity of purpose and the unity of power. Hmm. Okay, so <clears throat> when, we're, when we're talking, when Jesus says the son can do nothing of his own accord, we don't want to split Jesus up. And so, I mean, could Jesus be talking, quote, only about his, you know, the fact that he is a human being, then of course he's not going to do anything of his own accord, but only what the father is doing. Well, right, but at the same time, we want to, I mean, so you're saying that this is not just speaking of Jesus as a human being, but this is speaking of Jesus as the, the one Christ who is both human and divine so that maybe like the mystery of what is it in Matthew 24, where Jesus says only the father knows the mm -hmm. last day. Yeah. We're, we're looking at a similar mystery here then. Oh yeah. I mean, the incarnation, the Trinity, that's all a mystery. We can just describe it. We take what, what Jesus teaches us about it, but we can't penetrate too deeply into the mysteries. We just can confess them and rejoice. In okay. Them. But I mean, right. I mean, here, yeah. you know, just, just to mention, for example, Matthew 28, after Jesus has risen from the dead, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth and in earth has been given to me. And we generally in that, in talking about that passage, will say, according to his divine nature, he had no need to have authority given to him. So we would say then that that 
is a reference to his, uh, his human nature receiving all divine authority. And it does seem to me that here to say that the son can't do anything of his own will is a reference to his human nature, um, not going against the will of God, but, but certainly always conforming itself to the father's will. But, hmm. but I mean, you know, honestly, Pastor Apple, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we're dealing with a deep, the deepest mysteries of the Christian faith here. Trinity, yeah. incarnation. I mean, this is just, um, at some point, we just have to, to follow where the words lead us and then try, make sure we don't say too much and become heretics. That's right. That's right. So to, to confess what the words say, no more, no less. That is the, the goal of the, the faithful Christian. And so to, to take the words of Jesus at face value, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. And to understand that as Jesus says it, that is the goal and to confess that. And as you said, I mean, these are the, the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith. The, the fact that God is triune, that the Father is God and the Son is God, both. I mean, that's what's being emphasized here. And yet there is only one God. That's, you know, I mean, when we talk about this in confirmation class, whether youth or adults, I, I ask them, you know, can you understand it? No. Well, I can't either, but we confess mm -hmm. it because that's what the scriptures teach. Yeah. And I would add here, I mean, um, you mentioned the passage from, from, um, Matthew 24, where it says the father doesn't know. I mean, the, the son doesn't know, right? Only the father knows when the last hour is, the last day is. I mean, what's remarkable about the son is that only he is in a position to completely surrender um, authority. Mm -hmm. and, and we can't really experience what that's like because we always want to hold back a little bit of ourselves for ourselves. But I mean, the son of God completely surrenders himself to the father's will and he completely surrenders himself over to death for us. So nobody's freer than Jesus. Um, he just completely gives himself up um, for, for others. And that includes his relationship with his father. So I, I just think we're pressing into things that are impossible for us as sinful men to really fully understand because this, this level of freedom and self-sacrifice is something so foreign to our sinful nature. Hmm. But at the same time, you know, even though there's, it's something that is beyond our comprehension, it is something that should bring us joy. What's the, I mean, what's the joy of confessing the truth that Jesus is teaching here in verse 19? Well, it's liberating because, uh, we, we basically know that as we, um, turn ourselves over to, to our loving God, um, that the father loves us just as the father loves the son and is going to to love us in the same way that he loves his son. So it, it, it should be tremendously liberating. It, it should move us to, to indeed rejoice that we've been given such a great salvation. As Luther puts it in the large catechism, God has given us all that he is and has um, through his son and th through the Holy Spirit. So uh, we should be leaping for joy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So rather than desiring to kill Jesus for what he is teaching, as is happening here in, in John chapter 5, we should be rejoicing that the fact, in this fact, that the Son does not do things of his own accord, but does what he sees his Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So, I mean, this is a, I think this is a pretty, the pretty big theme in the book of John, that 
whenever we see Jesus doing something or saying something, we know we are seeing what the Father is doing or what the, hear what the Father is saying. To, so to he, see and hear and know Jesus is actually to hear and to see and know God. Yeah, exactly. As serious as that is, that's beautiful. Well, us. it is. I mean, that's exactly what 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 is at issue in, in John 14 when I think is it Philip is like, Father, show us the Father and that'll be enough. And Jesus smacks he, I, the way I imagine it is he smacks himself in the forehead. He pauses for a minute. He probably prays for strength, you know, Lord, <laughs> father, help me not to blow up at this guy. <laughs> but, then he, but then he says, Philip, you know, don't you realize how long have you been with me, man? You know, don't you realize that when you see me, you see the father. So, you know, that, that really should be enough that that's mind blowing right there. Right. Um, yeah. and this is. This is, of course, throughout the entire New Testament. We see this in Second Corinthians, where, where where is it that we see the, you know, the grace and glory of God? It's in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for us to see Jesus Christ by faith, um, really means that mine eyes have seen Thy salvation. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so all of this again is is answering the objection from these Judeans that they don't like that Jesus is calling God his father and making himself equal with God. They also don't like that he's working on the Sabbath. I think that's that's at play here too when you think about what the son is doing that he can only do what the father is doing. And so if the son can only do what the father is doing, well certainly the father's not going to be breaking mm-hmm. the Sabbath. Therefore the son is not breaking the Sabbath either. Well, exactly. And and on the other hand, just as the father never ceases working, so also the son can't stop working, right? He has to. Um, even when, when he rests on the seventh day of creation, that doesn't mean that he stops doing stuff. Um, he, he, he steps back and appreciates, you know, the goodness of the creation, but he's already, I mean, he's preserving it as we hear in, I think it's in Hebrews, right? He upholds the world with his, the word of his power. Um, so he's, he's continuously working just as the father does. And, and so not only is he above the Sabbath law as, as God, um, he's, he's also, um, doing exactly what we need. And that is working for us men and for our salvation. Right. So that, that connects to what we heard Jesus say in the previous text in verse 17, my father is working until now and I am working. He continues to elaborate on that in this section as well. So Jesus, again, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. So again, we're going to keep confessing with Jesus, this truth, even if it's not always quite as clear to us as we'd like it to be. Then into verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Take us into to that first part of verse 20. Yeah. So um, the father loves the son. I mean, this is a central theme of John's gospel. John three sixteen. God so loved the world, but then we'll see in here, and in, in John 10, Jesus will say things like, well, the reason the father loves me is because I lay down my life. Um, and so the, the love between the father and the son is, is a central theme here. Um, you know, this is love first John, not that we, you know, love God, but that he loved us and gave his son for us. So this, the love that God shows to us human beings flows out of the love that exists between the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And it also point out that this. You know, the father shows the son all that he himself is doing. Um, you remember in first Corinthians, 
I think it's chapter two where it says the spirit searches all things, right? Mm. He knows even the depths of God. So the, not only do the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share perfect love among each other, they share perfect knowledge and perfect will. So whereas you and I are in agreement about a lot of things, you know, we're never right. perfectly, Generally. yeah, you and I agree about a lot of things, right? But, but, but I mean, we're not perfectly in agreement about things. We have distinct wills. Whereas the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all share the same will. Everything is of one accord, right? Between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, mm. Go ahead. Thinking more about what it what Jesus says there about the Father loves the Son, and again, not to not to separate Jesus in you know the two natures and to drive a wedge between his divine and human, but thinking about that statement, particularly with the fact that the Son has become incarnate, that the Word of God has become flesh, as John has told us. The fact then that the Father loves the Son, who is a human being, that becomes an assurance for us of God's love for, as you, you quoted John three sixteen, where God so loved the world. Well, how do I know that God loves the world? Because the Father loves his Son, who is, you know, a human being, right? I mean, that's, and again, not to drive a wedge, but I think mm -hmm. that's at least one thing when we think about the son becoming a human being, the fact that the father loves his son, who is a human being, means that he loves us human beings as well. Yeah. Well, it's a both and, right? So he loves his son according to his divine nature from all eternity. They coexist together. Right. But then in time, God shows his love for his son and for the whole world by, because, well, the son becomes incarnate um, in, in the womb of the Virgin. And, and so there is a, a sense in which all men, you know, are one in Adam in that we fall into sin, but now we're all one in Christ Jesus for as one man came death as by one man came death. So also one, by one man comes resurrection of the dead. So you can also think about God's love for the world being mediated through the son. Hmm. He, yeah. So, okay. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. No, no, no. That, that's about all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay. So, okay. The father loves the son. And then the fact that the father shows the son all that he is doing. Again, again, as I'm just thinking along with the comfort and joy that this teaching from Jesus brings us, this means that the father's not like hiding some kind of secret mm -hmm. hatred for humanity sure. behind his back. Yep such that when we see the father loving the son, we know that we're getting everything that the father has for us. And there's not some sort of like hidden will of God back there that I need to worry about that has something like hatred for me. I know that it's all love that he has for me. Well, it is. I mean, I think back in John three, it was basically whoever believes in the son has life. And then whoever doesn't believe in the son, the wrath of God remains upon him. Yeah. Right. So it, it John's gospel is very simple and straightforward. It's, it's either, or you're either a child of God or a child of the devil. You're either with Jesus or against him. You either have life or are in death. And, and that really permeates throughout the gospel. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, God loves the world. God loves his son. That means God loves us. Hmm. Yeah. And this is all good news that we're getting here from John chapter five in the midst of this wonderful doctrinal sermon from Jesus concerning things like the Trinity, the incarnation. Jesus keeps going there in verse 20. He says, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So, all right, greater works than these will he show him. So the he showing him, that's the father showing the son. Mm. And that's going to lead to the marveling of humanity. Is that what Jesus is saying there? It is. 
And and now, of course, we, we almost have to, I guess, use John's gospel as a way of figuring out what those greater works might be. Um, well, help us help us into that. I mean, I, I'm thinking that it that since everything is about the crucified one in the New Testament, then I think that the the death and resurrection of Jesus are are things that the Father is going to point out to His Son to do, and then the Son is going to willingly do them. Um, we also get a reference to the resurrection of the dead in in verse 21. So and and life giving. So I think the death and resurrection of Jesus have to be the most marvelous works. Uh, that he's talking about. We also do get, however, in certain places in John's gospel, greater works than these you will do, um, than greater works than the miracles Jesus performs. And he connects that with prayer. So, so that's a pretty remarkable thing as well, that he's going to teach us the, the, the great power of turning to the Lord in prayer. Um, but I do think here, um, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus have, have to be the, the central marvelous things that we would, we would look at here. And and again, these are works that the Father is showing the Son that will cause us then to marvel. But it, I mean, so I guess as you think forward in John's Gospel, as you were, you know, the greater works that Jesus says that even the disciples will do. It the fact that it all starts from the Father is the key point here in John five. Yeah, I mean, Jesus uh, in John's Gospel especially just really hammers on the point that he came to glorify the Father. And he didn't come to to glorify himself, but the Father chooses to glorify Jesus. And so, in order to glorify the Father, you have to worship and honor and glorify the Son. But everything is oriented towards uh, Jesus working to bring us to the Father, because he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. So, the order of divine work in John's Gospel and and in well, the way God works in the world is that the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus, and then Jesus delivers people to the Father. Hmm. So that's what we're seeing here in John chapter 5 from this wonderful sermon from Jesus. We're going to keep looking at that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking about John chapter 5 with Pastor Carl Roth. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, January 26th. We're studying John chapter 5, verses 19 to 29 with Pastor Carl Roth. He serves at Grace Lutheran Church in Elgin, Texas. Pastor Roth, prior to the break, we were looking at verse 20, where Jesus says, greater works than these 
he will show him, the father will show the son, so that you may marvel. And then I, I think, you know, you were talking about elsewhere in John, Jesus teaches us what these greater works are. I think we see that already here in John chapter five. You centered us very much on the death and resurrection of Jesus as that greatest work. And Jesus is going to continue to preach about that into verse 21. As the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. So here we have mention of the resurrection of the dead, and that's going to come come out more as the, the text progresses. Talk about what Jesus is getting into there in verse 21. Yeah, I would point out you, you read as the father, but it's for as the father, right? Mm. So, so you see these connectives again and again, verse 24, this, 21, for that, 22, for. So there's this connection between all these. There's a logical progression going through. So I do want to emphasize this connection between verse 21, for as the father raised the dead, that would strongly suggest then that these greater works and the things that will make us marvel are tied with the father raising the dead, giving them life, but also the son giving life to whom he will. Um, sure. So raising the dead, giving them life. This is uh, the, the essence of what God does for the world, right? There was nothing. And then God says, let there be light. And there was light. This also reminds us of John chapter one, um, you know, in the sun was light life and, and he was the light of men. Um, so here though, I think we see one of the very clear passages about the, the complete union between the father and the son, both as God, fully God, fully Lord, both as creator and life givers. Um, here, here, there's no hint that this is something that, um, that, that the son has given to him, right? He, right. It just simply says the son gives life to whom he will. Right. So I guess th throughout we're seeing both natures of the son, both the human nature and the divine nature. Sometimes one emphasized a bit more than others. And I, and I think in this case, this is definitely an emphasis on the divine nature. Right. Because of who the son is in relationship to his father, the son being truly God, he gives life to whom he will in the same way that the father mm -hmm. does. We were talking about you know the resurrection here, and this will mm -hmm. go forward, especially getting into verse 24, and not to get too far ahead sure. of ourselves, but when we're talking about raising the dead mm -hmm. in this passage, what kind of resurrection are we talking about? Yeah. See, I think here at verse 21 is, is the resurrection of of coming from out of death into life uh, through faith, right? Through regeneration. So this, this kind of harkens back to John 3, where we have the Holy Spirit through the water washing with the word um, and the, the, the uh, regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Um, this, is, this is, I think the emphasis in verse 21 is not excluding the final resurrection, but this is the emphasis in verse 21 is um, that, that now we're seeing the, the father and the son working together to give life to human beings, raising them out of the deadness of sin um, and their trespasses and and coming to life. What do you think? I, I think you're right that in verse 21, they're, they're not like mutually exclusive here, but he, at least he's going to go from this verse into talking about that resurrection that you're talking about, bringing life to those who are dead in their sins. And then he is going to talk about the final resurrection, but that's going to really come more clearly in verses 28 and 29. That's right. Because in verse, even in verse 25, we say, he says an hour is coming and is now here. So yeah. if the hour of 
being raised from the dead is here as Jesus is speaking 2,000 years ago. That would strongly suggest that he's talking about coming out of the deadness of sin and unbelief into the life of faith. Yeah, so I, I think that's where he's starting there in verse 21, but he will get to the, yes. the resurrection of all flesh by the end of this section. So keeping going then into verse 22, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. And then that continues, you're pointing mm-hmm. out the connectives, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. So talk about who does the judging yeah. here and what that means for the honoring of the son. Well, so we, we say it week in and week out in the creed, right? From thence, he will come to judge the living and the dead. First point then is that Jesus is judge. And, and, right. um, so this is in first Corinthians 15, we see that everything's really handed over to the son until death is destroyed. And then I don't really know exactly what this is going to be like. You know, the son's going to hand everything over to the father. And then he says, God will be all in all. And, you know, I don't know that we could talk much about what that's going to be like. It's just going to be greater than anything we can imagine. But anyway, in the meantime, God has handed everything over to the son, including judgment. And so um, in the Middle Ages, the emphasis on Jesus as judge was everywhere. And mm-hmm. in this, if you want to understand the background of the Reformation, this is a central theme. When, when you heard in the creed that he's coming to judge the living and the dead, the emphasis was you better be ready. You better not be doing anything naughty. You know, it's kind of like Santa Claus coming. Um, <laughs> you better, you better be nice. You know, you better be doing good works. You better not be sinning. And when he comes, he's going to be a stern judge. Right. And so people were scared to death of Jesus because they emphasized his coming as judge. Now you can't deny the fact that Jesus is coming as judge, but the real question is, what's the judgment going to be like? And there you can think about something like Matthew 25, where he's going to say, mm. you know, separate the sheep from the goats and say, come you who are blessed by my father and eternal life. So we, we as, we as Lutherans and as Orthodox Christians can look at Jesus as judge, not as a scary thing. Um, as the book of Hebrews says, he's not coming to deal with sin. He's coming to, you know, save those who are, are waiting for him. And, and that, yeah. so we can look at the judgment of Jesus as good news. Uh, that's point one. The second though, is that if the son has all of this judgment, then he must be honored exactly as the father. So there's no diminishment of the son. Um, if, if, and this is where this is the, any church that has even this, a smidgen of, of anti-Trinitarianism is condemned by passages like this. Um, you, you have to emphasize that Jesus is God. And so we, he's not just like God. He's not a smaller God. He is God. You've got to honor the son exactly as you honor the father. And, and if there's one thing Lutherans really want to emphasize, it's we we're Jesus centered. Yeah. Right. So, okay. To honor. And then, I mean, the, the negative side of that, the, the other way of phrasing it is what Jesus says in the end of verse 23, whoever does not mm-hmm. honor the son yeah. does not honor the father who sent him. Talk, yeah. talk more about what that means to honor the son as you honor. I mean, what does that, what does that look like? Especially in this context of judgment, you mentioned how in the, the middle ages and leading up to the reformation, this thought of Christ as judge kind of got, you know, taken too far yeah. and spun the wrong sure. way. They they didn't honor him in the correct yeah. way. What what does it look like then to honor the son 
in this context? Sure. So, you know, we honor the son when we recognize that he came to be Jesus for us. What does Jesus name mean? The Lord saves. So he comes to save us from our sins. So we honor him when we, when we, um, acknowledge him as he intends to, for us to acknowledge him, not trying to say, Jesus, you know, here's all my good works. Here's everything I've done to save myself. No, that would be, um, basically insulting him and saying, you know, what you came to do as Jesus, the Lord saves is not sufficient. I need to add my works to it. So we really do rob Christ of his glory when we try to justify ourselves, when we try to make ourselves right with God. So that's one way of dishonoring the son. Another way, of course, would be, I mean, this, this is hard to, to swallow, but, but this verse 23 excludes any other religion, um, as being a way to know, knowing God, because, because there is, and, and, and it also honestly excludes a lot of, a lot of, um, well, I don't want to say denominations necessarily, but it excludes a lot of people who claim, you know, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but then really, really do not honor the son as they honor the father. Um, there's no way to God apart from, from the son. And hmm. so it's tough to swallow in a world in which everything's, you know, presented as a buffet, pick this, pick that, you know, like you can kind of choose your own way to God. Jesus doesn't give us that option. Yeah, I mean, so to that second point, then, but when you get to the verse in John 14 that we often think about when it comes to <laughs> yeah. Jesus is the only way, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, he's been he's been teaching that all along yeah. in John's gospel, and we see that already here. The other the other thought to your your first point about honoring the Son and and that being to receive what he's given mm-hmm. reminds me of the way that we confess, at least in the apology to the Augsburg Confession, that faith is the highest worship to simply receive what Christ has come to bring. That's the highest worship. That's the honor that he desires. And I I really think that then connects into verse 24. What does it mean to honor the son? Well, here we have that truly, truly the amen, amen, amen again, to honor the son is to hear his word and believe him. And so have the eternal life that he wants to give you. Yeah. But I mean, look look at the, the words, actually, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Mm. Now, I mean, there's a way in which you could say, well, that's identical with the word of Jesus, because if the, if the son is just doing what he sees his father doing, and then is conveying it to us, then that means that, you know, everything that we're getting from the father, we're also getting from the son content wise. But this is remarkable that he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent mm. me. So that, so this is actually the only way to believe in the father and have eternal life is to hear the word, which leads us into ha- actually have true faith in the father. And, and it's remarkable because human beings are idolaters by nature as sinners. And so they come up with all sorts of wild ideas about who God is. And they, they think that, you know, by philosophy and speculation, they can talk about God. Now, Jesus here says, if you want to know who the father is, you come, you look at me, you hear my word, and then you can actually really know the father. You can know it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to do that, to, to hear that word of Christ and then believe the father who sent Jesus, that is to have eternal life. And I've, I've always noted, and again, mm-hmm. in connection with 25, the present yes. tense nature yes. of this, you actually have yep. eternal life That's right, right now. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I preach, uh, I mean, 
you know, we have the, the Sunday after the epiphany is, is the baptism of our Lord. And, and I've preached a sermon called the present tense of baptism, right? Because in the mm-hmm. catechism, we say baptism, well, first Peter says baptism now saves you, right? But then the, the, yeah. the cat in the catechism, we say baptism daily and richly forgives my sins. Well, no, that's actually the third article of the creed, right? But, but ba- baptism works, forgiveness of sins, rescues yes. from death and the devil. Those are present tense verbs, right? So the present tense of baptism is God saying, you are my beloved child, present tense. Likewise here, whoever is hearing and believing the word of Jesus, present tense has eternal life. There is a, a you know, there's a now, but not yet element to the Christian faith. We do still have to live out the rest of our days. We have to fight the good fight. We have to mortify our flesh. We have to be careful not to have the word choked out, right? But nonetheless, I can say over against a lot of, you know, again, a lot of denominations, most notably the Roman Catholic Church will tell you, you can't know that you're saved. You can't have any confidence of salvation. You can say, well, I hope I'm saved someday, but I can't say that I'm, that I have eternal life now. That would be presumptuous. But, but I mean that, but the problem is they're blaspheming, right? They're con- they're not honoring the words of the son who says, whoever hears my word and believes, believes him who sent me has eternal life. Hmm. And then in the future, right. he will not come into judgment, but has already passed from death into life. Yes. Well, and just to, to on the thought of knowing that we are sa- saved, John's the one who writes in his first epistle that he writes these things so that you can know that you are saved. I mean, there is certainty sure. in these words because they come from Jesus who received them from the Father. And, and Jesus can say amen, amen to all of this before he even utters it because that's how true it is. And so certainly we can speak our amen and know for certain what Christ says is true. And, and as you said, then Jesus, you know, he, he brings up the judgment again, that this one who hears and believes and has eternal life doesn't come into judgment. So what you were talking about earlier, for us as, as Christians, those who hear and believe, the judgment is not something to be feared because we know that Christ has already brought us from death to life. Yeah. And I also think, doesn't he say later on in John 12, you know, now is the judgment of this world, you know, now yeah. is the ruler of this world cast out. So everything, again, is tied to his crucifixion, to his own death and his own resurrection. And, it, and so it's the believing of the word. Well, what, what is the theme verse in John 20, right? You know, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, life in his word. That's where we know life in baptism which is the word attached to the water, where we know that we have passed from death to life and therefore do not come into judgment. The big judgment for our sins has already occurred on Calvary. He dies. He takes hell for us. He dies in our place. And so then we're baptized into his death and raised up with him in new life and baptism in, in, in his resurrection. Um, so that means we pass from death to life. There is a fundamental difference between a, a regenerated believer, a Christian, and somebody who's still in death, somebody who's not a believer. There's a, there's a fundamental difference not only in the sight of God, but also in reality. Hmm. And Jesus continues in verse 25. He says again, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And again, we we mentioned this earlier. This is where it, it seems really plain that Jesus is speaking about the resurrection that happens in what we would say conversion. This yes. is where, where we hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit brings us to faith. Yes, I, I think so. I don't see any other way around it. Now, there's no, you know, you're not going to separate these things apart either, right? <laughs> I mean, like you have to receive this new life and come to life here in order to be raised to the resurrection of life on the last day. So, right. so it's an intimate connection. But this also drives home the point that this is something we can have now, right? Hmm. Jesus isn't casting the hope of this into the future. He's saying, look, the hour's here. The dead, people in sin, have heard the Son of God, and those who hear will live because of his word, because of the Spirit. And so there, there is a present tense to this now that points forward to the final resurrection. I mean, in the context of these Judeans who are seeking to kill Jesus, there seems to be a great urgency, particularly in this verse, that Jesus would would call upon these people to to hear him now, to listen, because the time is here right now to be to be raised to this to this life. Yeah, I mean, there's an urgency in the proclamation of Jesus. Now is the day of salvation, so listen up, so repent for the hours at hand. That's right. So, and then Jesus continues with another connective for as the father has life in himself. So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. So the, because the father has life, the son also has the life given. And that then seems to me as just to try to connect these, that's then the reason Jesus word gives life to those who hear. Right. And, and I mean, here you do get this language of granting or giving, and then giving in verse 27, giving authority. Um, so, right. so this does feel like it might be pointing more in the direction of the human nature of the son. Hmm. Um, I just, I, I don't want to, you know, make absolutely dogmatic statements about that because I don't think we can exhaust these verses completely, but there does seem to be an emphasis here that this man talking to the Judeans at this very, at this very moment is the one who has this life granted to him, and then also the authority to execute judgment in the next verse. But hmm. then he, he'll go on to say, because he is the son of man, and that's a reference mostly to his, his divine nature. Okay, so, so explain that a little bit more, Pastor Roth, because a lot of times, I mean, as you said, we think of the hymn, Beautiful Savior, Son of God, Son of Man. You're saying the Son of Man here refers more to his divine nature. Yeah, I mean, this almost certainly is, I, I'm just going to say it is. Um, is, is a reference back to Daniel chapters and, um, the, the, it's actually, if you compare the Greek of the, the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the old Testament with the Greek here, this is, this is the only time in the new Testament, there's not articles in this term, son of man. And that's the same as it is in Daniel seven as well. Um, now I think that it's that when Jesus talks about himself as the son of man in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's also got Daniel 7 in mind. But anyway, let me just read Daniel 7, 13 or 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So there's the language of the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. 
So here we have a very, um, you know, central passage for understanding the, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, both that uh, this, this son of man is, is not just a human figure, but also a divine figure who actually has power over all creation. So that, that's a very helpful explanation of what Jesus is saying there in verse 27. I want to make sure we keep going to the end of this text because we have some wonderful words here in 28 and 29 and ones that probably require a little bit of explanation. Jesus says, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming. And notice he doesn't say is now here. This hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So here it seems pretty plain that now Jesus is taking us all the way to the resurrection of all flesh at the end. Right. Yes. I mean, it's actually visible people coming out of their tombs. Now, it is really interesting to think about Lazarus later on in John's gospel. Right. 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 I mean, now Jesus says here, they're all in their tombs. So, but Lazarus yeah. is going to be kind of like this little preview of what's going to happen on the final resurrection day. And now... um, so this is this is something we confess in the creeds, both creeds every day, the resurrection of the dead and you know the resurrection of all flesh. And then the part that does tend to trouble people is the phrase, the phrases here, those who have done good will go to the resurrection of life, those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. People get to this point, or similarly, they get to the end of the Athanasian Creed and they're like deflated because they're like, well, it just seems like Jesus. And, and the church has taken away everything that they've given us. You know, like right. you've got all this justification by faith. You're saved by trust in, in God, by his work. And then you get this, well, you have to do good to be saved. And if you've done evil, you're going to be condemned. What hope is there? Um, so how are we going to resolve this, Pastor Apple? Well, that's that's always the question, isn't it? And and every time, you know, on Holy Trinity Sunday, when we confess the Athanasian Creed, I, I I know the line you're talking about toward the very end, those who have done good will enter into eternal life and those who have done evil into eternal fire. It's always one of the the notes that I make sure to explain before we confess that creed so that it is properly understood. I would love to hear how you explain it so that I know what to say the next time Holy Trinity <laughs> Sunday rolls around. Well, well, we're about six months away, so <laughs> that's right. So we've got, got time some time to, to refine yeah. our language. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's just very straightforward. Um, that here the the language of doing good is is simply shorthand for saying it's the whole life of the Christian faith. It's it's kind of sanctification in the broadest sense possible. It incorporates those who have done the good thing of having heard the word, believed it, been baptized, and then live the Christian life, receive everlasting life at the end. Those who have done the evil thing of rejecting Jesus, of rejecting the life that the Father has offered, they will, they will suffer the resurrection of judgment. So here we just, mm. we just need to take the phrase as representing believe that is do good, yeah. right? And then to yeah. do evil is to reject the Son. I think that's right. the simplest way of saying it. Sure. And I think that's right there in the context of John 5, as we were saying earlier, with the thought of, you know, what does it mean to honor the Son mm -hmm. as you honor the Father? Well, here in the context, it means to hear His Word, hear the Son's Word, and believe the Father who sent Him, and then you have eternal life. That keeps it right in the context of John 5. And then I, I like to point out later in John 6, verse 40, where Jesus says, this is 
Uh, no, that's not the verse I'm looking. Well, it's part of it. This is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The the verse I was really thinking of is, is prior to that verse 29, where Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe mm -hmm. in him whom he has sent. I mean, both of those verses are right there in the context of, of this word, which is quoted in the Athanasian Creed. Mm -hmm. And, and explain it very well, such that there is no contradiction here between, say, Jesus and Paul, but but both of them teach salvation by God's grace. And then, of course, as you said, the Christian life that follows, that is certainly a part of it. Exactly. Yep. So, Pastor Roth, we've got about two minutes here. Help us to, to wrap things up on this very rich text from John chapter 5. Yeah, so we just need to keep in mind here that Jesus has been coming under fire for having doing, having done works that only God can do, that is healing the sick without medicine. <laughs> and then um, he, he's doing this on the Sabbath, which, which irritates the Judeans um, and the self-righteous, you know, Pharisaic, Pharisaical types who said, well, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And, but they understand the message. Jesus is making himself equal to God. So then Jesus is, I don't think he's defending himself here, but he just gives a discourse of the truth of how he is one with the Father how they share the same will, how the son is dependent upon the father and, and simply wants to imitate what his father is doing. And so there's this unified will of God, which is to love the world and to save the world. Um, he really emphasizes that if you honor him, then you're also honoring the father. But if you dishonor him, then you're also dishonoring the father. Um, but this wonderful passage that, that Jesus really has at the center of this, this reading from today emphasizes the word. And what a blessed thing it has been for us to study the word today and for us to study the word every day, because as we hear that word of Jesus, as we believe that that is the word of the father who sent the son to reveal the word to us, we actually have eternal life. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus says, whoever hears the word and believes that we're justified has it. You, you, you hear it, you believe it. You have it. You don't call God a liar. You say, amen, amen. Yes, it shall be so. Pastor Carl Roth is pastor at Grace Lutheran Church in Elgin, Texas, helping us today to study John chapter 5, verses 19 to 29. Pastor Roth, thanks for being our guest today. A pleasure as always. Thank you. Whoever hears the word of Christ and believes him who sent him has eternal life. This is you and me, dear Christians. We have eternal life right now in the word of Christ so that on the last day we know we will be raised to the resurrection of life because of what Christ has done for us. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.